I'm reading from Acts 4, 23 to 31. After they were released, they, were, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the, the heaven and the earth, the Lord, the sea, and everything in them. It is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For this city, for in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, you look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus when they have had prayed in the place with which they were gathered together was shaken they and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Jameson, I think one of your vocab words was in there. Vain. We are continuing our look at uh, the wild goose chase. Um, a few folks asked me after last week, you know, where did I come up with that? You know, is that something that was mine that is not something that is mine. Uh, that's a, a tradition that has been a part of Celtic Christianity, uh, part of uh, the faith of Ireland for quite some time. There's uh, a, a very old story, uh, depending on what sources you read, depends on how old the story actually is. Uh, but the story is told that as the uh, barbarians were coming to attack the city of Rome, uh, that it was a flock of geese who kind of... Um, started honking and, and took to flight, uh, waking up the Romans before the Visigoths or somebody came to destroy the, the city. And so they were uh, alerted to the presence of these uh, invaders. Um, again, depending on what sources you read depends on how old that story may actually be. Um, but if you were to go and Google um, wild goose and Celtic Christianity, you'll come up with a number of uh, different um, 
results to that search. Uh, there's different resources out there that are called Wild Goose. Uh, there's a, a book by an author, uh, Mark Batterson, Matters, Batterson um, about called uh, Wild Goose Chase. Um, I, I was also alerted, thank you, Luke, uh, reminded of uh, the Iona community in Scotland, uh, which is an ecumenical, uh, intentional community of followers of Jesus who are committed to a rule uh, of life or, or, or a way of living, uh, and they operate a uh, publishing company called Wild Goose Publishing Company. I, I spent a little bit of time on their website and part of their rule of life, this is, this is the folks that are in this community commit themselves to a certain number of things that this is going to form and shape our life. These are our commitments um, as a kind of way of highlighting how we're going to follow Jesus. And their rule of life enta uh, entails this, daily prayer and reading the Bible, mutual sharing and accountability for our use of time and money regular meeting together, action and reflection for justice, peace, and the integrity of creation. All of these seem uh, not too far away from the community of faith that's gathering together in this story in Acts. And so uh, there's a lot that we have to learn from some of our um, uh, brothers and sisters of the, the Celtic and the Iona community. As we look more at our passage this morning, would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Would you speak through me or despite me? In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a little bit of the scene that is happening uh, leading up to uh, the passage that was read for us this morning. Peter and John have gone into the temple courts, and in the temple courts they have found a man who is lame. And they have reached out their hands, they have healed him in the name of Jesus. And then they've taken this opportunity with this crowd beginning to gather around them to uh, proclaim the story of Jesus, going back to the very beginning uh, of, of the good news story, and they're talking about Jesus as the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the beginning of new creation, which folks have just seen an example of in the healing of this, this lame man. They're starting to see a glimpse of this new creation. Of course, the religious officials, in, particular, in particularly the Sadducees who controlled the temple and didn't believe in a resurrection, they're not too fond of this crowd starting to gather around Peter and John and of them preaching and teaching and healing in the name of Jesus. They thought they were done with this Jesus story. They thought they were done with this group of Jesus followers. And so to hear this name being preached and proclaimed again is not, um, it's not what the Sadducees wanted to hear. They bring Peter and John and they question them and they threaten them in order to get them to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And this is where... Peter and, and John respond, you know, basically, well, you decide 
whether it's better to obey men or to obey God. We'll let you figure that out. That question has already been answered by Peter and John in their minds. They know full well who they're going to obey and follow. And so after a good threatening, the leaders have no choice but to let them go. And Peter and John come back to the community of faith and they let them know everything. They tell them everything about what's just gone down, about the healing and about the people coming and and starting to hear the the good news of Jesus, about the the leaders starting to threaten them and, and trying to coerce them to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And what happens? Worship breaks out. Spontaneous worship. I assume they didn't have time to type up a bulletin. They probably didn't have time to get the slides together to make sure all the sound was correct and move things from outside to inside and and all that stuff. It's all good stuff. But I assume their worship didn't have time for that. Because of what they had experienced, because of their their shared mission and their their, um, excitement, their passion around what God is doing and continuing to do in their midst, they can't help but break out into worship and celebration. And what's a part of their worship and their celebration is once again reminding one another of the good news, the good story of Jesus. They remind one another of the story of Scripture back to the very beginning, down through David and the story of Jesus. And as they're, they're worshiping and they're praying, and I assume they're singing, we're not told what kind of music they listen to. In the midst of that, They connect their worship to praying that they might be the conduits through whom God now acts in the world. They believe that God is working in and through them to continue this good news spreading, uh, new creation, uh, participating family of faith. That God is working through them. They are already living out what Teresa of Avila prays, that Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So in verse 29 of our passage, they pray, And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They believe that their their worship, what God is doing in their midst, is also propelling them back out with passion and boldness, back into mission, back into proclaiming and, and living out this good news story of Jesus. Enter in the wild goose. 
I think sometimes, you know, we think of the Holy Spirit showing up in this peaceful state of mind, in this calming and encouraging way, and, and that's kind of where the, the, the peaceful dove kind of shows up. And that's a, that's a beautiful image, but that's not quite the image that Luke is writing about here in this story in Acts. We maybe tend to think of this as uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit, but the Celtic Christians would have talked about this wild goose, this, this untamable, unpredictable presence that, that is coming to life, and maybe you hear a little bit of the, the honking of the goose in the background as the place is, is stirred, it is shaken. They, they, are, they are moving, they are experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Verse 31 says that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So they've shared in mission together. Peter and John have shared in mission together. Out of that shared experience, out of seeing and, and experiencing what God is doing, they come and they worship and they pray. And that experience now uh, with the infusion of the Holy Spirit is sending them back out with boldness and with passion. Now, I'm not sure which part is more miraculous in these next couple verses. Whether it is the place shaking with the power of the Holy Spirit or what happens in the next few verses. These are verses 32 through 35 of Acts chapter 4. It says this, Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. And with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The Holy Spirit is moving in their lives. And the church begins to enter some pretty radical territory because folks are voluntarily giving of their abundance in order to care for one another. They're looking at the, the lives of the, their, their fellow brothers and sisters of the faith and seeing things that might be holding them back from pursuing fully the kingdom of God. They're seeing that, that some are being weighed down and being uh, sidetracked by, by poverty and, and hunger and, and all kinds of other things. And they're doing their best. They're coming together to get rid of those things. And for a brief time, they're eliminating those needs around them in the body, in the family of faith. No discussion about capitalistic ideals or uh, socialist communist dangers. There's just this lived-out embodiment of the way of Jesus. Those following the way of Jesus are helping one another get rid of those hindrances from fully living in the way of Jesus. 
and the wild goose is inviting the early church to the chase. Come follow me. Come see what's possible. The unexpected. The unpredictable. Folks giving up their own stuff for the good of all. Lives being radically shaped around the gospel story. And I imagine the honk of the goose inviting the church to that graceful V of flight. When I went out to the car this morning, the geese, they're, they're, they're beginning to travel. And they're always in some version of that V breaking through the the currents of air, breaking through the turbulence together in joined flight, encouraging one another. Keep going, keep going. I want us to see a little bit of the pattern of the story. It's one that we've talked before uh, about a few weeks ago. But Peter and John are in shared mission, grounded in a community of followers of Jesus. And so when they go into the temple, they've they've spent time with the community, but they go into the temple for shared mission. They go together to preach, to heal, to let others know what God is doing in their midst. Even when they are uh, being uh, uh, persecuted, being questioned, threatened by uh, the religious establishment, I, I'm sure in that moment, I don't if, if you've ever felt persecuted or you've ever felt threatened or questioned, there's something, uh, if you know and you are, have been assured that you are in the right, there's something galvanizing about that experience. And so in that shared mission, Then they come back and it leads to worship, praising God for what they are experiencing in mission. And then Holy Spirit-infused worship leads back to shared, bold mission. Radically shaped, radically oriented lives. You know, the life of the Iona community or um, other intentional communities has always been fascinating to me. We tend to have an idealized perception of the early church as though they had it all together. And we tend to do that with any kind of intentional community. We tend to think everything is just wonderful. The perfect community of shared mission, shared resources, shared life. I invite you later to keep reading what happens in Acts. All that perfection is about to go out the window in a couple verses. Early brethren and Anabaptists uh, who shared in common life, practice, mission, and sharing of resources, um, they're they're fascinating. There's something something peculiar and different, and we look at that, and, and it encourages us. Modern intentional communities continue to bear witness to a life of those completely committed to shared faith, to shared mission, to shared resources, and a shared life, whether that's the Iona community of Scotland 
or the Simple Way of Philadelphia or any number of other intentional communities. I'm thankful that some folks continue to be called into these kinds of intense, intentional communities to bear witness to the good news of Jesus before a watching world, but also encouraging, challenging the church. I don't know that we're all called to that way of life, but I'm not so sure that the church that the followers of Jesus committed to living and sharing the good news of the resurrected Messiah as king, I'm not sure that we aren't called into a more intentional way of life and shared community. Now more than ever. I'm sure that one thing we are not called to is to have Sunday be the only day or hour that we recognize the presence of the Spirit and feel the movement of what God is doing. I'm sure of that. I'm sure that what the church is not called to is to come and hear the, the, the pastor preach a sermon once a week. I'm sure that's not the only thing that we're called to. I'm sure that the church is being called to and challenged to be more, to live more intentionally, to be sent out from our shared worship experiences back into mission, back into hearing the, the, the cries of the lame and the poor and the hungry and the ones who are, are broken and in need of the healing or the holistic peace. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? Don't forget it. We didn't, we didn't just leave it a couple weeks ago. Our world is broken. Division abounds. Culture is shifting and the church has been greatly impacted by it all. And yet, where is this wild goose of a Holy Spirit calling us? How are we being beckoned to live in shared mission together? With the wild goose honking, encouraging, beckoning, inviting us to rise up to join in the V formation of shared life and mission together. May we be shaken by the movement of the wild goose. And may we be stirred to new life, radically committed to the life-changing healing, resource-sharing, holistic, peace way of Jesus. Church, this is the life that we're invited to. It's good to see you on a Sunday. It's good to see you and experience life with you and live in mission together beyond 1030 on a Sunday morning. This is the life we're invited to, the life we're called to. May the good news story of Jesus 
and his, his uh, resurrecting power and his, his new creation building kingdom be one that you and I participate in every day. May it be so. I'm going to, um, let's see, what does the bulletin say I'm going to invite you to do? I'm going to invite Michelle to come and share uh, a poem again this morning. Uh, Craig A. Roberts is the author of a number of these poems that we shared last week and this week. Uh, he has a website, if you look for his name, um, that has a number of resources and beautiful poems, some of which uh, have just come out in the last few weeks, and yet they speak very clearly to this idea of the Holy Spirit as wild goose. And so I'll invite Michelle to come and share that this morning. Heart of Goose. Upon the wind he comes. The heart of the wild goose seeks me, desires me to fly with him, to follow. Listen, listen, hear his call. My heart moved, pumps quick. I search sea and stormy skies. My soul hears his call. My mind amazed with wonder. His presence becomes my strength. Once more wild wings fly upon the storm, seeking you who wait in hiding. His breath comes with words of love, touching souls with gifts of hope. Go in peace, and may the holy God surprise you on the way. Christ Jesus be your company, and the Spirit lift up your life. Amen.